Hello, and welcome to the latest Day on Pensions podcast, focusing on providing behavioural insights to help you navigate through resettlement decisions. I'm your host, Karen Gainsford, and I'm joined today by Martin Bird and Hannah Lewis. Could you both introduce yourselves quickly? So hi, I'm Martin Bird. I head the resettlement team at Aon and spend all my time helping clients think about the amount of risk that they're exposed to and then structure and execute bulk annuities and longevity swaps to help eliminate some of that risk. Hi, I'm Hannah Lewis from Behave London. Uh, We're a behavioural insight agency and we look into how people make decisions, whether that's financial decisions such as saving for retirement or trustees in the boardroom making decisions about their scheme. Great. So today we're going to continue our focus on resettlement decisions. So should longevity risk be removed by entering into a longevity swap or a bulk annuity contract? And we're going to look at that through a behavioural science lens. So let's fast forward all the way to the business end of a transaction process. So let's say at the point where we've got initial pricing received from the market, whether that's for a longevity swap or a bulk annuity, what biases could affect decision making at this stage? You'll find at this stage that people, the bias that comes up the most is the pain of paying. So because you're taking the transaction cost now and the benefit is kind of ongoing, you're reducing your longevity risk, but also you're reducing your risk over a a period of time. So it's not like paying fees on a regular basis. You're taking the upfront cost. And what we know from brain research is that, you know, we experience kind of physical pain in our brains when we pay a lot of money for something. So we see this a lot in practice when um, trustees and sponsors uh, are actually presented with some insurance pricing. Um, sometimes they just really struggle to make a decision around it. And, and, and you know, we, we kind of talk about analysis paralysis quite a lot. Um, I think that comes um, down to the fact that normally there are a lot of numbers in the system. So trustees, sponsors see technical provisions, solvency numbers, long-term ambitions, various targets, so on and so forth. And trying to distill a pricing and make sense of it amongst all of those numbers can be quite challenging. So I think this comes back to actually doing more groundwork up front to get ready for analysing that pricing. Um, it's important to make sure we compare apples with apples. So entering into a transaction today is designed to protect against risk uh, and actually save money further down the line. And therefore, doing that groundwork up front to define what pricing you'd be willing to transact at is critically important so that then when you're faced with some pricing, you can determine whether that price meets those thresholds. And it's important to do that up front so that actually you've got a framework to fall back on um, we, we often see trustees and sponsors looking at pricing and by then it's too late because they haven't actually done the groundwork to understand what metrics are important and, and then they're trying to retrofit that framework into live pricing and that just makes that makes life hard. Uh, and the other observation that we have around this is people forget that insurance transactions are there to insure against risk and therefore clearly there is an insurance risk premium embedded in the pricing and we need some clarity around what that risk premium is and to be able to compare that to the amount of risk that is being hedged. You know, technical provisions that have got margins of prudence in them, self-sufficiency targets, solvency targets are all looking at different measures. We need to be clear that when we're comparing insurance pricing, yes, the practical reality of technical provisions impact and solvency impacts are important, but actually the comparison we need to do is how much risk are we hedging and what is the price of hedging that risk? So what happens in a situation where pricing doesn't quite work? 
can it be difficult to walk away? And have we got any biases that potentially come into play there? The bias that comes into play when we're looking at making a decision is sunk cost. So sunk cost is when we have expended something already, whether that is time, money or resources, and we're reluctant to back out of a decision because we've already put so much in. So it can be that you've uh, expended a lot of money going through the process trying to make a decision, but it could also be that you've spent a lot of time sitting around a table discussing things and that you you don't want to just walk away from it having um, put so much of yourself in. And have you come across this in practice, Martin? Uh, we see this an awful lot in practice. In fact, we, um, we, we're always very concerned that people on settlement projects don't ca- carried away with deal fever. You know, you can spend an awful lot of time thinking that um, all your metrics are going to be uh, matched. You've done all the groundwork. You've gone through a very diligent process. Um, kind of there's there's a sense of um, excitement about completing a transaction and then when pricing comes back and you put it through your framework and actually look at where the pricing's at you know if it's mediocre um, sometimes there's a momentum around the project that actually when, when you stand back and think well that's not really great pricing you certainly need to be alive that um, you don't just plow on um, and as Hannah touches on, you know, just want to get it over the line because you feel like you've already sunk a load of cost and effort and, and emotional energy into the project. Um, a, a good example of that um, would be back in 2017. Uh, we had a number of clients looking at executing longevity reinsurance transactions. And actually, um, if you cash your mind back, there was a lot of emerging data about the drop off in the rate of mortality improvements. Um, and the reinsurance pricing that we were seeing in the market at that time was just extremely laggy. So it hadn't caught up with those emerging data trends. And we had some very um, large transactions lined up where in the cold light of day, that pricing was just stale, out of date and, and not representing good value for money uh, and didn't meet the metrics um, of the deal. And, um, you know, took t- took a step back and decided not to pull the trigger on those transactions but absolutely the right thing to do not get caught up in deal fever but you shouldn't underestimate the um the kind of uh, need almost to take a brave pill to make some of those big calls but but those calls can be as important as actually completing the transaction because the worst thing is to um to plow on in the moment and then six months 12 months later look back with the benefit of hindsight you know in the cold light of day and think crikey that was just that was a really daft decision and and you know all that groundwork that i did developing a framework identifying my metrics it all went out the window because i was just caught up in the moment so something yeah something we're very sensitive and alive to and, and something that we see in practice you know pricing ebbs and flows um, and it's important to make sure you're absolutely comfortable before you um, pull the trigger on some of these transactions. So I guess another decision that, that trustees or employers might be facing is if they get competing offers from a range of different providers. So maybe household names, some maybe less well known. Have we got any biases that come into play there? So the bias that comes into play at this stage is something called familiarity heuristic. The heuristic just means rule of thumb. So as it goes, The more familiar we are with the brand name, the more likely we are to engage with it and feel comfort around making a decision. You know, that's why brands work. That's why they're put eye level in a supermarket. But equally with financial brands, it's also true. So you might find that the client wants to pick the familiar brand, you know, the the household name, as it were, the one that they're most familiar with, as opposed to the best price. 
and weighing all things equal, you might find that actually, you know, the best vendor is the one that you're not the most familiar with. And this comes back to this idea of we don't like to um, regret our decisions. So the classic phrase is nobody gets fired for buying IBM. And we just, you know, that's when people are picking brands, they're doing it because they don't want to feel like they made a mistake, even though it's you know irrelevant for the criteria in front of them. So Martin, how do you find this plays out in practice? We certainly see good examples of this um, if we think about the bulk annuity market. I mean, we've got eight active insurers participating in that market. Some are, you know, large household names, kind of um, mainstream uh, insurance players. Others have come into the pensions market, set themselves up as real specialists. Um, So all all of those insurers very active in the market, but naturally some are just more familiar brands to trustees and sponsors, Um, you know, and and you can see that in the... um, uh, it kind of whirring through the considerations. Uh, but also I think trustees and sponsors are, are rightly concerned that when they come to communicate these transactions to members, what will be member perception and how easy will the members find it to understand um, dealing with different types of insurers, some of whom, as I say, are kind of household names, others who are extremely niche and specialist players. And in practice, what that underlines really is that understanding brand and being alive to um, the influence of that is clearly an important part of the uh, of the decision making process having said that you know these are complicated transactions it's not just pricing we've already talked about some of the um, challenges around putting pricing in context we need to put brand awareness in context but there are a whole range of other factors you know admin track record different types of commercial terms so lots of considerations when making um, decisions and in fact we had a seminar this morning with um, 70 odd uh, clients in attendance, one of the polling questions that we asked were what were the top considerations uh, when it comes to making decisions around bulk annuities? And the top three were price, commercial terms and administration capability. So interesting to note that brand didn't actually feature. In fact, I think brand was down in um, eighth or ninth position, wasn't it? So uh, important to understand, but I think um, when it comes to it, or perhaps not the key deciding factor. Great. Okay, so it's clear there's a range of biases uh, waiting to confront you on your de-risking journey. If you would like to find out more behavioural insights to help you navigate through resettlement decisions, then please email talk to us at aon.com to request a copy of our guide direct to your inbox. All that's left for me is to thank Martin and Hannah for coming in. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. So that's it for today. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to the latest edition of the Aon Pensions podcast, focused on providing behavioural insights to help you navigate through resettlement decisions. With me, Karen Gainsford, and my guests, Martin Bird and Hannah Lewis. If you need any further information on Aon Retirement Solutions, you can contact us by visiting our website or email us on talktous at aon.com.